Hello and welcome to this week's episode in Season 2 of the Multi-Channel Success Podcast. Today, we're covering a subject that's relevant and key to lots of retailers in the UK and beyond. It's all about how to lower the cost of returns. I'm delighted we have with us uh, our guest speaker, Peter Hightower, the founder of Easycom, which, for those of you who don't know it, is a revolutionary return platform being adopted across the industry. Welcome to Peter. Thank you, David. Really happy to be here. Fabulous. Thanks for joining us. Um, so I think for our listeners, we wanted to cover this week the, the subject of how to lower the cost of returns, not just from a kind of technical perspective, but the kinds of things that are going on in the market and the trends that we're seeing. But let's just start with how big the issue really is and how we define the issue. I remember when I was working uh, in the UK high street, we had sectors that were returning 60, 70% in some cases. So I'm assuming for some people, it's a really big problem. Yeah, that's correct. And I think it's depending a little bit on what sector you're in and what product you're selling and which markets. So if you're selling uh, home appliances, uh, electronics and so forth, you'll probably be in the one to 5% return rate. In the mid range, you find furniture, interior design, you get five to 25%. I think the biggest one is the, the uh, fashion industry or, or the shoes and clothes, where you, as you said, might end up in specific markets in, in up to 70% returns. Yes, I remember on, on some product categories and on some colours, because I think I always remember black was a terrible return rate relative to lighter colours. If you took black dresses that had any, any sense of body form about them, they could be over 70% return rate, which, which makes the product pretty much uncommercial, I would have thought. Absolutely. Okay, so I think you've mentioned that it kind of can be brand specific, it's certainly product specific. I suppose it can also be customer specific, can't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So there are different type of customers, of course. There are, there are good customers and there are bad customers, so to say. And in some cases, the bad customers doesn't really know why they are bad. But good customers, of course, they, they, they buy products, they return product because they want the, the right sizes and fit, uh, because they, they ordered in the first place. But the bad ones, is you can divide them into two. You have the, the, the unaware that, that buys a lot, returns a lot, that doesn't know the impact of, of cost and, and uh, sustainability. And then you have the abusers that really is like misusing, uh, buying, using, shipping back, or just buying and shipping back. So that's... That's the biggest challenge, I would say, from a customer point of view. Yes, I remember, uh, anecdotally, a member of my family, huh? mentioning no names, used to regularly tell a story about buying a suit on a Friday, wearing it on Saturday and returning it on Monday. Um, that was before the days of digital, but the philosophy was that he could do that, so he did. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure abusers is, is recognised by everyone. But I suppose, therefore, we're tended to think about it as being an evil returns it's a it's a necessary consequence of what we do is this is that the way you see it well there are good and bad returns of course so i would say that the, the good return is that the customer wants a specific product and getting the right size or right color then you need a return to, to exchange that product but also it's, it's a bit of a as the dressing room has moved into the living room of the customer's premises or homes Meaning that you sometimes need to try products before really knowing that if, if it fits and, and uh, looks well on you or not. And that's similar to what you do in, in, in a local store or a brick and mortar store, but, but you don't have the same type of returns in that. I guess we're kind of in the world of a bit of a trade-off, aren't we? People expect to be able to return things and indeed it's the right thing to do because not everything is perfect for everybody. And with our 
our kind of environmental hat on, our sustainable hat on. We don't want people keeping stuff that they're just going to throw into landfill. So we want things to be right for people. Um, and trying to find that balance, I, I, I would imagine that, that offering a return service is not necessarily a reason to shop or not shop with someone. It's the types of return services that determine whether it's suitable for you. Are you finding that with the retailers you're talking to? Yeah, well, what we mostly see is that, that uh, it's more like a one-size-fits-all service, meaning that you handle all customers the same. And the problem with analog returns and uh, paper-based returns is that it's about surprise returns. You don't know what's in the box, what products, the condition of them, and who's returning until you open the return in the warehouse or in the store which means that you'll have few possibilities to do anything else than just open it and then to handle it locally out of the yeah. store. So I guess we've probably all got examples of businesses who have taken the decision to suspend returns with certain cohorts of people or indeed even certain cohorts of products. And in my experience, those always seem to have failed because the consequence of a, of a, of a serious blockade of whole loads of people is never very good from a PR perspective at the very least. So I guess people are looking for more subtle tools to be able to make informed decisions rather than blanket decision making. Yeah, I think what you mentioned first is that, that going for just a return rate, that's, that's a bit dangerous because you might have two customers with 50% with in return rate and one might be really profitable and one will be really costly and non-profitable. And that comes down to what products do they keep? Is this high margin products they're keeping or low margin products? And that's why it's a bit dangerous to go just on the on the on the to high level of blocking customers. Yeah, I think we have been making analog decisions in an increasingly digital world, which does seem to be to be rather odd. But before we come to the, the the kind of solutions and things, let's just talk a little bit about what retailers are doing. I mean, I remember back in the day when I was doing this, there were there were lots of things that we could do. Some of which sometimes appeared to work, and then other times didn't appear to work to try to slow down the returns rate by informing customers prior to the decision that they could do it. So I'm thinking, for example, about better imagery, better pictures, size and fit. I mean, that size and fit's a nightmare, isn't it? Because no retailer has the same size and fit as the next retailer. So how, do, how does anyone know what size they are? Yeah, I think that the size and fit is probably the biggest challenge. Because, uh, again, back to the comparison, you have two exact twins with the same body size and the measurements, get the same product. One feels that this fits perfect, and the other one feels that no, this isn't, doesn't really fit me well or, or, or fall well on me. So that's just hard to like put in the system. But working with a bit more analysis and finding the, 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 the worst products like coming back might, might be of quality reasons or, or similar to that then you can avoid upcoming returns. As you mentioned, if you have a bad picture on a product, well, take a new picture or describe it better. If you have sizing issues, customer says it's too small, well, put on the product description that please order size larger than normal. By that, you can be more proactive and avoid upcoming returns and unsatisfied customers. I think that's some of the actions a retailer can take uh, today. Yeah, and I think we also went through a phase, I remember, in the 20s where we were talking about video. Yeah. And there was a kind of perception that maybe video was going to be all put everywhere to allow people to make better decisions about how a product felt being worn or how a pair of shoes would feel when you were looking down on them. Or but video doesn't seem to have exploded with the extent that we thought. And I'm not sure I understand entirely why that is, but, but that is an option to try to reduce 
the amount of bad decisions that people make yeah. always struck me as a good one. I'm not sure why that's the case. Well, I think also same comes to the, the, the sizing tools that are coming, helping customers and, and uh, comparing different uh, sizes from different brands to help the customer to make a good decision. Uh, I can agree, I haven't seen those really fly. I think they're used and helping to reduce the return rate and, and uh, getting some percentage mm. down. Mm. But, but not having the, this revolutionary impact yet, uh, what I can see. I guess it's also a trade-off of cost, isn't it? Because produce, producing even five-second videos is, you know, models, hair, makeup, yeah. it's expensive. So, I think, you know, it's, it's another one of those trade-offs which retailers are probably having to make. So I'm not sure there's much mileage in that. And the other analogy I always used to consider was that fashion changes. Yes. And, and, and as a result of fashion changing, fit changes. So this, this year it might be all about a floaty kind of style that is easy to wear. Yeah. Next year it might be about styles that are more body conscious yeah. and more fitting. So things change so fast and to call those things the same fit when you then wear them feels sometimes odd. So I'm not sure there's an easy answer to this in, in, in terms of what fashion can do. But okay. I fully agree and I think also like the seasons are also shorter and the style and, and, uh, and the, the fashion might differ from market to market, region to region, mm. and yeah. uh, also to the complexity. Yeah, yeah. I, think you're, I think you're right. So I think we, we know it's a problem, it's not an evil, um, but we know that trying to find ways in more organic markets of reducing returns can have a disproportionate impact on retail sales. And that's got to be um, desirable for many, mm. as well as, the sustainability angle and I know that the sustainability angle is something that you're particularly passionate about absolutely so 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 uh, I think the, the the vision of the company is to really make an impact like like uh, uh, sustainability impact helping the planet to survive so uh, I think that is one of the red threads to the company the other one is profitability and if you can combine profitability and sustainability you will have the money drive sustainability projects and initiatives. It sounds great. Tell me how you think the sustainability, give me some examples of where you think the company is making inroads into the sustainability story. So, so firstly, like uh, starting with the opportunity on what, what to do uh, is to, if you digitalize the return process, you're, uh, you can take decisions earlier in the process, which means that you can have, you can avoid unnecessary transportation, you can also get things to, to new destinations with shorter lead times and shorter distances. You can get into outlets, stores and so forth. And by doing that, you will, you will increase the, the profitability and, and the, the, the sales of those products uh, instead of them uh, ending up in, in landfills and so forth. Mm. Well, we'll maybe come to, uh, in a minute, about how, how your business is, is, is doing that. Because I think that's, you know, if we could if we could enshrine sustainability, profitability and customer satisfaction at the top of our, yeah. of our decision-making tree, then organisations would, would be in a much better place and the planet would probably be benefiting from that too, I, I think. Yes. Um, but the customer satisfaction perspective, talk to me a little bit about how your product improves customer satisfaction. So, as you know, from when you're buying things, you have a lot of uh, marketing communication, you, you get a lot of information about the... the, the full sales process and delivery process. When it comes to return, if you don't have a digital return solution in place, 
you have not much information to give the customer. The customer has shipped back the products, they haven't got the money back, so they're actually sitting with zero and, and uh, just hanging. So if you have a digital return solution in place, you can inform the customer. And you can have good information, you can have uh, also the, the possibilities to, to make changes, to get new sizes, new colors, and so forth. And also important that you can speed up the process, which means that you will get your, your new product faster, you get your refunding faster, and that, that increases customer satisfaction. Yeah, that, that sounds good. Maybe we should take a break here for a message from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Better Commerce. Ever struggled with how to get your online store started or feel like you've been left behind with old and dated technology? Well, Better Commerce offers a completely composable commerce stack that allows retailers to upgrade their technology with a combination of flexibility and out-of-the-box features. When better is available, good is not enough. Better Commerce, your composable commerce partner. That all, that all sounds like, uh, sounds like you're moving from a, your business is moving from a one-size-fits-all solution for customers to something that, that regards each and every customer as almost an individual. Is that right? Absolutely. So, so again, same as you do marketing, campaigning, segmentation, you need to look at individual customer and, and see, like, should you treat your, your abusers with the same services as, as your, your VIP customers or more pro most profitable customers? I would say no. You, will, you must have multiple customer journeys. And it's depending on what type of customer you have uh, in the returns process, but also the reasons. So a return journey, that's like good good area for, for reconversion. You have the exchange journey, you have the claims journey, and, and a lot of things that you should handle differently in order to, to, to well, get the best customer satisfaction, but also then get the, the most optimal flows for, for the customers. I know at the center of your product, which I know you're going to talk to us about in a minute, is this notion of the returns platform. We hear a lot about platforms in yes. digital, whether it's data platforms or whether it's CRM platforms or CDPs. So it's not surprising that we're now talking about returns platforms, but talk to us a little bit about the components of a returns platform and the yeah. kind of capabilities that it would have. Yeah. So, so generally, you can put them into two different buckets, so to say. You, you have a return portal. And return portal is mainly of, of capturing the return product, the reason codes, but also creating the, the return shipment back to the warehouse or, or where you want it to, to, to end up. And that's most focusing on the logistics part and then uh, gaining efficiency in, in uh, lowering the cost and so forth. With the platform, it's more the, the return is affecting like the, all the stakeholders in the company. It's, it's a cross-functional process. So with the return platform, it's, it's of course focused on having these multiple customer journeys, but also optimizing the flow so you can redirect products that you want to warehouse, what you want to go to stores, to outlets, to optimize profitability, but also sustainability. And a returns platform is also in most cases focused on not just cost savings, but also reconversion and, and, and upsells. Well, that sounds fascinating because I suspect most of our listeners kind of have a set of returns options and they blanket apply those returns options, whether it's return to a store or send back in the post or call a courier. They blanket apply those to all products, irregardless of which customer is being dealt with. So it feels like you're moving from, towards a digital kind of dynamic returns decision made, I think, as you said before, very early in the process, 
that will hopefully not only speed up, but reduce the consequence of returns going to the wrong place or being mistimed or, or being badly handled back where they're supposed to go to. Does that, is that, does that work? Yeah, so, so uh, our thesis, and I think we're proving it, is like, as, as if you can take the decision as soon as possible in the process, it will have, of course, the lower cost and a quicker resolution time. So it, what we do is we take a decision on, on, on consumer level, having these multiple customer journeys and, and good services for the best customers and, and not always the best services for, for, for the lossy customers. But we apply the same principles to the product. So each product, we can take a unique decision on where it should end, have the, the end destination based on seasonality, price, condition, and a lot of parameters to optimize, of course, profitability, but also sustainability, like avoiding transporting unnecessary products. And I think you were saying off air that for, for, for some customer groups or some individual customers, you would apply potentially a very different end consequence of their requirement to return stuff to others. And, and that might sometimes mean that, that, that an item is treated 20 different ways by 20 different groups of customers, depending upon their value to the organization. Yeah, exactly. And I think like when you start to work on that transactional level, that's when you, you, can, you can automate the processes, you can steer into the, to the best destination, and also keep the, the, the lead times really tight and low uh, or, or fast. Uh, and that, that has a huge impact on customer satisfaction, the cost and, and the, 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 all the refunding to customers. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised so much because many sales-led capability today is driven by data. It's yes. driven by real-time understanding of, of what customers are doing, whether that's on a website or in the marketing world. So I guess it's, it, it, it's probably high time that we had something that allowed us to use that data capability in our returns, which, which ultimately is affecting the planet. So uh, it makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a good description. I think we're good at, on the sales process. And I, I would say like the, 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 the customer order or delivery is not fully done until the customer is satisfied, either with the product he, he or she gets with a new size of color or get another product like an uh, exchange or in color size or get the money back. Okay. That's when the process ends. And that's like the combined customer experiences from both the sales process and the return process. And that's why we should pretty much look at it the same, uh, with the same type of automation and segmentation. One slightly technical thing we should probably just cover off for our listeners. Um, unfamiliar with maybe the protocols they have to um, adhere to is the CSRD um, for anybody who's shipping any goods into Europe now. Yes. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, so there are like new legislation determined and, and are being implemented. So it's the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. And there are like, I think there are four to five rules in that or, or uh, new laws. But it Summarizing is that EU would require the companies to report not only what they have been selling, but what they ship to, to outlets, to, to, to charity, or to, to destruction or landfills. And, and that is like they need to report on, on, a, on a monthly basis. And, and following that, I would guess, because this is the, the initiative for EU to, to, to work on the, on the uh, challenge of, of overproduction, is that if companies start to ship too much to, to landfills or, or uh, 
upcycling, there will be probably quotas and penalties connected to that. Okay. Okay, it's probably something that, that some of our listeners were not aware of that they needed to do. Uh, as we're in this rather vague grey area between being in Europe and not being in Europe. Yeah. But it, it sounds like, from what you're saying, that if they're shipping to Europe, they're going to have to play by these rules. Probably. Otherwise, like, it will well, sweep off the feet from the European <laughs> companies compared to the other ones. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Before we just come on to some of the um, the kind of next steps and what your business is doing in terms of onboarding clients, because you're big in Scandinavia, doing a lot of work in Scandinavia, yes. but, but, but the, the move into the UK is... I think 2023, 24. Yeah. Um, just wanted to talk about the competitors. I, I think we're saying off air that there aren't very many people with returns platforms. In fact, hardly anybody. Lots yeah. of people have returns portals and yeah. lots of people provide services. Maybe making the distinction between that would be good just for people. Yeah. And just before that, we have our customers, is, they have warehouses, location stores all over the world. So we have global return and, and claims flows. Um, but the distinction between a portal and a platform, I think, as I mentioned earlier, is that a portal is, is more common. It, it captures the, the, the return product and the recent codes and also creates the, the inbound visibility for, for the shipment. And that also can uh, add to the customer experience, giving better visibility to, to the customer. A portal, uh, as we mentioned, is, has more capabilities and focus not just lowering cost, but creating more efficiency uh, and uh, upsells and, and uh, reconversion. And here in, in, in Europe, I would say like in, in the Nordics, we have uh, Reclaim It and, and uh, Enshift as, as portals and competitors. Here in the UK, there are companies like ZigZag and, and uh, Rebound Logistics. And, but on the portal side, as you say, there are fewer. But I would say like the things, uh, the companies I follow and, and really uh, look at is uh, Loop Returns in, from US. Okay. They're doing a lot of things that we're doing uh, and also Optoro and Arvar. Okay. So a wider platform from all these uh, players and, and uh, better capabilities. I think what still distinguishes us is the, the profitability calculation down on product and consumer that is uh, unique from, 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 from these competitors. Fabulous. Yeah. And I think we should also just say that um, the EasyCom product, if you're listening to us having an outsourced 3PL provider, your warehouse is, is outsourced to, to a company that uh, you have a commercial relationship with, um, that doesn't preclude you taking and getting the benefits from this product. Um, it, it, it's an extra hurdle to jump through, but it's not. Uh, this is not uniquely something that you can only use if you're managing your own logistics. If you're partnering with someone, this can be used too. Just a little bit before we, we wrap up, uh, the onboarding process. I know you take a very kind of step-by-step -step methodical approach to how you onboard clients, and you've onboarded quite a few clients yeah. in, in the last few months. I just want to talk us through how that works. Yes, so again, with the platform you have great opportunities, but, but again, uh, it, we don't want to run too big projects. So we take a step-by-step -step approach, so, so often divided into three. So in the, in the first step, implementing the digital returns and all the business rules to drive this automation. And most often our customers want the exchange functionality as well, because that wins back a lot of customers and orders. But you reap the, 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 the first benefits and, and a good part of the cost savings and efficiency with the first step. And then in the second step, moving into to more automation, adding these business rules that decides products going back to shelf, go to, to repair uh, or uh, washing to be sold again to full price, going to outlets and charity and so forth. So 
taking this stepwise approach is to, to actually implement the, the, the platform uh, in a good way in the organization and then continuously drive uh, innovation and change. Fabulous. Sounds great. Well, look, I think we've, we've run out of time now, so we're going to wrap it up here and say thank you uh, for that. I think that's been very interesting. And for any of you out there looking to find ways to lower the cost of returns who've done all of the things that we talked about before, I think um, exploring technology like Easycom and doubtless others would be a good thing to do. And if anyone wants help doing that, either contact Peter directly at Easycom mm -hmm. uh, or give us a shout and we can connect you. Well, that's just about all we've got time for um, this week on our How to Lower the Cost of Returns podcast. Many thanks to uh, Peter for joining us. And just before we wrap up, a couple of last thoughts from you. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for being here. It was a really nice discussion. So the two things I would leave you with is that if you don't have, well, create a shared return strategy in the company. And also with the upcoming legislation from EU, sync around the, the sustainability requirements that comes and see it as an opportunity. Peter, that's great. Thanks again for coming and uh, we look forward to being with you all again soon. Thanks to our sponsor, Better Commerce. When better is available, good is not enough. Better Commerce, your composable commerce partner.